I would like to uh, teach this morning from the ninth chapter of First Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles today, would you turn with me there? And I'm going to be reading the passage uh, as I go along, because it's a very long passage, and uh, I'll be hard-pressed to, to get through it. By way of introduction, when we look at this passage here, the Apostle Paul starts off by talking about, am I not free, am I not an apostle? And then he talks about certain rights and privileges. And it seems to be a different subject than the subject in the last chapter. And it almost seems like, how does this fit in here? But when you look at this as a whole, uh, it fits in very well. The Apostle Paul has been dealing with various problems throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. He's dealt with the problems that deal with marriage in chapter 7. In chapter 6, he dealt with uh, the problems dealing with uh, lawsuits. Chapter 5, he dealt with immorality in church. Now, in chapter 8, 9, and 10, however, he's dealing with another problem. He's dealing with the problem, should Christians eat meat sacrificed to idols? Now, has any of you had any problems with that this last week? No, I'm sure you haven't. But uh, this particular passage deals with that subject. And in Paul's day, it was a very crucial and a very important subject. And chapter 9 fits right into the argument, and we'll see that as we cover it today. But the problem in, in Paul's day was that everything in that society was related to uh, this problem of, of idols and idolatry in both the Greek world and in the Roman world. The Jews alone were those who worshipped the one true God. And then, of course, Christians are those who believe and the same thing the Jews do, except that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And yet we worship the same God as the Jews. Now, the people in Paul's day, let me give a little background. The people in Paul's day had this problem because every time they went to the market to buy some meat, usually the meat would be meat that had been offered to idols. And so many Christians were saying, well, you can't eat any meat, so let's be vegetarians. Because everything that we buy in the marketplace, a T-bone or roast or any other type of meat, has been offered to idols, so we can't, we can't touch that as Christians. And uh, this is what happened. The, the meat that the people ate in those days usually had been sacrificed to these various deities, the deities in the, in the, the Greek deities there in Corinth. Now, they were sacrificed both privately and publicly. Now, here's what happened when they offered an animal like a cow or a pig or some other animal as a sacrifice. It was divided into three parts. The first part was burned, and that was offered up to the deity. The second part was given to the priest because the people in uh, Paul's day... The Greeks and the Romans had their priests too. And these priests were those who would then would offer up the sacrifice to the person. And then lastly, if it was a private offering, the person himself kept his, uh, uh, that part of his, him of his animal. And he'd usually have a banquet. He'd have his friends over and 
Usually you would tell the people that we're offering this and we're inviting you to come here and have this banquet to our Lord Serapis or some other deity. And uh, so the the Christians had a problem because every time that they would be involved in some type of social event, if they were invited to somebody else's home, usually the meat at that banquet or that event had been offered up to a deity. Now, in chapter 7, we saw the problem between the weaker brother and the stronger brother. And Brian last time talked about this passage, Brian Fisher, and he pointed out that the Christian who is the stronger brother, the one who believes that the meat that's offered up to uh, deities are really is really all right to eat because there isn't any God but God. And these idols are really nothing at all. And so it's all right to eat meat uh, that's been offered up to these idols because they're really not idols at all. They're really nothing. <coughs> And yet, there were people that had problems with their conscience. They were those who had worshipped idols before. They had become believers. They had turned to the living God. And they thought, I'm still worshipping this idol if I go over there and, and eat at this banquet of my friend. And so he had a problem with it. Now, the problem with the, between the weaker and the, and the stronger brother is this. When the weaker brother would see the stronger brother participating in one of these banquets, he might think, well, I don't think that's right, but maybe I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Apostle Paul pointed out in chapter 8 that the problem with this person was then his conscience would be hurt. He would be sinning. And this is the, the principle in chapter 8 for the weaker Christian is if something is bothering your conscience, don't do it. Because if you can't do it in faith, he says, it's sin. And that's the point in chapter 8. Now, there are various scruples that Christians have today. Some Christians don't believe in playing cards, dancing, going to picture shows, uh, mixed bathing, roller skating. Some of them don't believe in having any fun or entertainment. <laughs> and uh, the problem that we have as Christians is how do we relate to other Christians? Now, if, if it's something that will cause his conscience to be hurt, this other Christian, then he's a weaker Christian, if he's only going to be annoyed and not do it anyway, then he's really not a weaker Christian in that regard. He's weaker in the sense that he has these scruples, but yet, at the same time, uh, we need to be careful in not causing our brother to stumble. Chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the rights that we as Christians have, and he's saying that you and I really ought to give up our rights. Chapter 10, he gives us some warnings. Some people think, well, since I am the stronger Christian, I can do anything I want and I'll never have any problems. But you look at the first part of chapter 10, Apostle Paul points, Paul points out that there is a possibility that you and I can fall into sin, even though we may have been believers for years and years. I remember the story of D.L. Moody, a great evangelist of the last century. Uh, he was talking with a friend of his, and he noticed a drunk staggering down the street, and he pointed to that man and he said, There, except for the grace of God, go I. In other words, D.L. Moody realized that he, even though he was a believer and was a great um, servant of God, could fall into sin. 
And the Apostle Paul is pointing out to be careful, even as an older Christian, as a strong believer, that we can still fall into sin. And then he goes on in the rest of chapter 10 to deal with the the uh, Lord's Supper or Holy Communion and the communion that is offered to idols. And he's saying that you cannot participate in a communion, the Lord's Communion, and also participate in that which is offered to idols. And so you have to be careful when you are exercising your Christian privilege that you're not really that you're really participating in the things of the Lord. He says, because there is a possibility that these could be the things of of Satan and not God. And then he goes on in the last part of chapter 10 to to point out that that, uh, we shouldn't be too fussy. As Christians, we can go down to the marketplace, he says, and we can buy our meat and don't ask any questions. Go ahead and take it home and cook it, you know, and eat it. And then he says... Uh, to the people he points out to them in social situations what they're supposed to do in a social situation he says if someone invites you to your home eat anything that's put before you now I've been in many places in Europe when I've had to do that and some of the places some of the things I've had to eat were not too appetizing to me and I can eat just about anything but yet this is the principle is when someone invites you to their home eat whatever's put before you and uh, the reason he says to do that is because that way you can gain rapport with them and perhaps win them to Christ. But he says if they make an issue out of it, if they say, well, this is offered to idols, what are you going to do about it? Then he says, don't eat, because they've made an issue of it. But if they don't make an issue, they've just invited you to come, and he says, come and eat. But most of all, in the last part of the section, he says, don't cause your brother to stumble. Don't do anything which will offend another believer. Now let's turn back to chapter 9 and start at the first, um, the first section, chap- uh, verses 1 through um, 14 of chapter 9. Apostle Paul is talking about various privileges that he did not exercise. He had them. He had the right to do different things. And we have the right as Christians to do things. Now, I know that there are some Christians who say we don't have any rights. But the Apostle Paul points out in the passage that there are certain rights that we have. But he says that we need to be able to give them up. And he begins by saying, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I am not an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is the first part of that section, these first two verses. And Apostle Paul, when he says, am I not free, he's not talking about political freedom here or the fact that he's not a slave. He's saying, am I not free as a Christian to do what I want? Am I not free to participate in eating the meat offered aisles? Don't I have rights and privileges? And the answer is yes, he does have those rights. But we'll see later on that the Apostle Paul gave up those rights. And then he says, am I not an apostle? In other words, the Apostle Paul is pointing out that he had even more rights. 
than the average Christian because he was an apostle. And he proves his apostleship by two points. Notice the first one is he says, Have I not seen our Lord? Now the word apostle means one who is sent. And in that sense, all of us as Christians are sent ones. We're to carry out God's message to other people. But in a very limited, strict sense, there are only just a few apostles. The, the ones that the Lord picked, the Apostle Paul, Barnabas is called Apostle, and James, the brother of, of Jesus Christ, and a couple others. And that's all that are mentioned as apostles in, in the New Testament. And this is one of the things that was to characterize them. They were to have seen the Lord face to face. The Apostle Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He had seen the Lord face to face. And so therefore, he had the right to claim that he was an apostle because he'd seen the Lord. Secondly, he points out the proof of his ministry was the Corinthians themselves. In other words, his ministry had results. The Apostle Paul had gone as, as an apostle, the apostle of the Gentiles, to these Corinthians. He had founded and started the church at Corinth. He had won them to Christ. He had taught them the word of God. He had uh, brought many of them up in the faith. And so therefore, he points out, you are proof that I'm an apostle because I started the ministry here in Corinth. In the next section, verses 3 through uh, 6, Apostle Paul is saying that as apostle, that he had certain rights. He said, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Now here, the Apostle Paul is pointing out the fact that, that he had the right to eat anything or to drink anything. He also had the right to be married, but he didn't. The other apostles were married. The Apostle Peter was married. The brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ were married. Uh, uh, Peter in particular was married. And he says, we have the right and privilege, Barnabas and I, in our ministry to have a wife too, but we don't exercise that uh, right to take a wife. And he goes on to say that he and Barnabas worked for a living. In other words, when they ministered in Corinth, Apostle Paul did not accept any financial support whatsoever from the Corinthians. And we'll see later on that the Apostle Paul had that right. Let's see what he says then in this next section. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? <coughs> Excuse me. For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this is written for us, because when the plowman plows and the thrasher thrashes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, 
Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Now here the Apostle Paul is using some examples from his day. There are three examples here. He says, first of all, a soldier doesn't go out without being paid by somebody. You know, he has a right to be paid. Secondly, the farmer, he expects to get something when he uh, plants a crop. And then thirdly, the herdsman, the cattle rancher or whatever, you know, he expects to get something back when he uh, raises his stock. And then he says, this isn't just a human point of view. He says it's even more. He says this is also God's viewpoint too. And he quotes this passage out of the Old Testament. It says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Now, he first of all asks the question, this isn't just talking about, uh, I'm not just talking about this in relationship, or God isn't just talking about this in relationship to oxen, is he? In other words, oxen can't read the Bible. <laughs> he says this has some specific point for you and me. And he says, the reason why God put this in the scripture is this. He says that just as you don't muzzle an ox when it's treading the grain because the ox deserves to have some grain while it's working, people who work for a living deserve to be compensated for it. In other words, you who work as engineers and teachers and lawyers and doctors or laborers or whatever, you have a right not only from a human perspective, but from God's perspective, to be paid for that. That is a right, to be paid and to receive financial remuneration. And he says that this is God's viewpoint too. But then he goes on to say that it's more than just something that spiritual, he says, or something that's more than just physical, it's also spiritual. He says that if somebody works in the ministry... For example, your pastor, Pastor Roper and Pastor uh, Steve, they deserve to be paid financially for spiritual work. Now, I know there are a lot of people that believe that pastors should work just like anybody else and then pastor on the side. But this passage here tells us that they still deserve to receive financial remuneration for spiritual work. And notice that verse on the end. Uh, he says, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Now, who were these others? Well, these others were the Judaizers. These are the people that came along after the Apostle Paul. And they said, well, Apostle Paul really is an apostle because if he was an apostle, he'd take your money from you. You know, he'd accept financial support. So we're going to show how great we are. We're going to accept all the money that you can give us. And so, Apostle Paul is saying here, he says, if these people have a right to be supported by you, the people that came along after Paul, he's saying, we all the more. Why? Because Paul had founded that church. He's the one that had led them to Christ. He's the one that uh, had uh, built them up in the faith. And so he had a right to be, receive financial resp uh, support from the Corinthians. But... We notice in the next part of this verse, he says, we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything 
rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. In other words, this is really the principle that if someone ministers spiritually, then he should receive financial support for his ministry. That's the principle. And it's of God. But notice what the Apostle Paul said about himself. We didn't exercise that right or that privilege. We had the right to be supported, but in Corinth, the Apostle Paul didn't accept a nickel, a drachma, whatever, for his work. And the reason why is he said we put up with anything so the gospel won't be hindered. You know, when we're uh, looking out at the Christian world today, we hear all kinds of preachers on the, on the radio, you know, send in $7 and I'll give you a 7 by 7 piece of my prayer cloth. Or someone else will say, if you don't send in $10 a day, we're going to have to go off the air. And many of these people, I know of one case where a person was making this kind of appeal, but he had his time paid for over six months in advance. And so this appeal was really not legitimate. There are many people that are not legitimate on the radio. There's one person who says, God doesn't want his people to be poor. He wants them to be rich. Send in a thousand bucks or a hundred dollars and God will really reward you richly, you know, as he's lying in his pocket. Now, the Apostle Paul was not that way. The Apostle Paul truly ministered to people. And yet he didn't receive, in the case of the Corinthians, he did not accept anything at all from them. Because he had the right, but he gave that up so that the gospel would not be hindered. Another illustration of this is Billy Graham. Billy Graham, a great evangelist of our day, when it comes to the contributions, he has his contributions well laid out so that anybody that that sees his work and check out what the contributions go for. He has a set salary so that people can't say that he's in it for the money. And I think this should be true of other Christian workers as well, that they should have a set salary that people can see. This is what we make. We're not in it for the money. And uh, this is certainly true with um, Billy Graham and many other godly people. And so I don't want to disparage those that speak on the radio and that do talk, but there are many of them that are in it for the money, and yet the Apostle Paul wasn't. Notice what he goes on to say in this next section. In the next section, Apostle Paul is dealing with uh, the fact that the gospel is a privilege as well as a duty. And he's talking about his concept of the ministry. And he does this in verses 15 through 23. Now this section is divided into two parts, verses 15 to 17 and then verses 19 through 23. The first part of this section, he goes on to uh, emphasize this fact that he didn't use his rights. He says, I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. In other words, he's not trying to make a late appeal at this point for money. 
says, I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Here the Apostle Paul is talking about the fact that, that or why he gives up his rights. He's giving up his rights for the reward that God will give him. Now he says that uh, if he preaches because he's voluntarily chosen to do that, he'll receive a reward. If he's doing it because it's a duty, he won't necessarily be rewarded for that. But the Apostle Paul is, is really making sure that he has a reward for what he does. And the, re, the way that he's doing that and his reward is just the fact that he's able to offer the gospel to the Corinthians free. That's Paul's reward, he says in this section. He says, that I, What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Now, I think uh, this is some, uh, something that we can apply to our lives, too. That we, we do have rights as Christians, but when we give them up, God says that he will reward us for that. Just like the Apostle Paul gave up his rights for financial support in order that the Corinthians could hear the gospel and believe the gospel free of charge so that they would see that the gospel is not something that costs money. Um, let's look at the second part of the section. Apostle Paul goes on to say, Am I not free and belong to no man? Or though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I can be, became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but in, am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all men, so that by all means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Once again, he's touching on this, this thing with the gospel, that his ministry was something of privilege. He had a right to share the gospel with others, or, and, and in doing so receive a financial reward for it, but he did not take that right. He was free. He didn't really have to minister to other people, but yet he says, I become a slave to everyone in order to win as many as possible. This is why the Apostle Paul gave up his rights. Another reason 
was that he might be able to win as many people as possible to the Lord. So he gave up his right uh, to enjoy life, and he became a slave to everyone, he says. First of all, to the Jews. When he was with the Jews in the synagogue, Paul was a Jew. When he was preaching to the Gentiles, he was a Gentile. And, and yet he says, notice this part in verse 21. He says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Here he's talking about the Gentiles. Now, a lot of people think that because we're not under law, but under grace, that therefore we're free to do anything that we want. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that. He never says that in Scripture. And Christians who know the Scripture don't believe that. We believe that we are not under the law, but under grace. But grace means being under the law of Christ. And what's the law of Christ? It's the law of love. Let's just turn in our Bibles a second to uh, the book of Galatians. Because I think this points out very clearly what the law of Christ is. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, I'll read uh, three or four verses starting with verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So we see here in this passage that the Apostle Paul emphasizes what the law of Christ is. It's the law of love. That we ought to exercise love toward one another. And this was the the law that Christ or that Paul exercised in his ministry. Even though he had the right to do certain things, he gave them up. And he exercised a law of love rather than taking his rights. You also might paraphrase this section where he says, uh, when in Rome do as the Romans do now. We have a ministry in Europe where we work with both Protestants and we work with Catholics. Uh, when we work with Catholics, we try to do everything that they do as, as, as much as possible in order that we might gain rapport with them. And we've had a tremendous opportunity in at least a couple of countries in ministering with Catholics because we're, we've been willing to uh, do what they do in order that we might get close to them. Like Paul says here, I, to the Jews I became a Jew to win the Jews. And this is what we've become with Catholics, that we might win the Catholics to Christ. And we've had a tremendous opportunity to share the gospel with Christ. And I've seen many Catholics accept Christ because we've been willing to get close to them and to do what they do. Many of them in these countries in Europe are really open to the word of God and to the gospel. 
And we have the opportunity to reach these people for Jesus Christ because we've been willing to do, uh, to be like them and to do what they do. Although, notice once, once again that Apostle Paul says he's not totally free. He must exercise the law of Christ, the law of love, in doing what he does. And this is true with us too. We try to exercise that law of love when we minister to people. Now let's notice the last section of this uh, passage in chapter 10, or chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Here the Apostle Paul is giving an illustration out of the Greek games. Now there are several Greek games. The two most important was the Olympic Games located at Olympus in northern Greece. And the second part was the Isthmian Games, if I can pronounce that correctly. This was located in Corinth. And the Isthmian Games were, would take place every two years. It was biannually. And, so, and it, was, it took place in Corinth. So the Apostle Paul probably may have had the opportunity of seeing some of these games. And therefore, this illustration would have really meant a lot to the Corinthians because they had often... Uh, excuse me, had witnessed these events. Let's read the passage. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Notice once again that the uppermost thing in Apostle Paul's mind is the prize, the reward. You and I as believers will receive a reward, the Bible says, for what we've done in the body. Let's turn back to a passage in the same book, 1 Corinthians 3, and, and look at, at this concept of rewards. Beginning in verse... Um, now let's begin in verse 10. By the grace... God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But everyone should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This passage teaches that someday you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is what happened after the runner ran the race, was he would stand before the judge and would be awarded the prize. 
And uh, the Apostle Paul says that we build out of six different kinds of building material. There's uh, silver, gold, and precious stones. That's one type, the type that's going to last. And the other is wood, hay, and straw. You know, that's the type that really goes up with the flames. And all of us, you and I, as believers, since we're part of the body of Christ, are building on the foundation, which is Christ. And we're all building with that material. And someday the Lord's going to test our material and see what kind it is. I'm sure that all of us are, are thinking that we're going to have a lot of those gold, pieces of gold, uh, silver, and precious stones, but it's going to probably burn all down to just a little bit. And some of the things that we've done uh, that we didn't think would were worth too much, I think are going to last. And some of the things that we thought were something that was really a great thing that we did is probably going to be burned up. And yet the Apostle Paul is, is really clear. He says that we will we'll, we'll be saved. We'll go to heaven. He says, but if all of our work is wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned up. And yet we will be rewarded for what's left. But I have to really tell you if we've done something for the glory of God we've done whatever it is through the power of the Holy Spirit it will be gold, silver and precious stone but if we've done it for our own glory our own benefit it'll be burned up if we've done it through the flesh then it won't last I think this is what we see and we saw in that passage in Corinthians that we or in Galatians I mean chapter 5 that when we do anything through the power of the Holy Spirit it's going to last it's not going to be burned up let's turn back to that section there in chapter 10 Paul says do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize now you might not believe this, but in high school I ran track for four years. And uh, there wasn't too many of those races that I came in number one and when I got a prize. But in every race that's run, there's really only one that wins. Yet the Apostle Paul here says that all of us as Christians can win. That's why he says run. It says run in such a way to get the prize. Now, he goes on to tell us that when you run in the Olympic Games, you had to really be in training. I can remember when I was running track that I wouldn't eat any sweets. My mother used to make lots of good pies, but I wouldn't eat any or any sweets because I knew that would affect the way I ran. Uh, I kind of eat a few today, as you probably noticed. But uh, if you're going to run... And work out as an athlete. You have to be careful what you eat. You have to train hard. And in Apostle Paul's day, the people had to show up for practice every day. They blow the trumpets, and the people had to get out of their sack at the right time. If they didn't, they were disqualified. They couldn't run in the race. And 
That's why it says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. It was really an agony that those people went through in that day. This is where we get the word agonisti, or the word for fighting or struggling, or the word for athletics comes from that, the struggling. It was a real agony for those people when they trained. Now, do we train that way as a Christian? Are we disciplined? Do we spend time in the Word? Do we spend time praying? Do we spend time working for the Lord? And I, I know that I, when I say that, I'm speaking to myself as well as you, that I fall down. And I'm sure a lot of you do too, but we need to get back up and continue to work for the Lord by praying, reading the Scripture, witnessing, and doing the other tasks that, that God lays before us because this is something that's necessary if we're going to receive the prize. Now, if we don't train, we don't work out, we won't win. Neither did the people on that day win. And yet, it's, notice what he says also. He says, they just trained for something that was an earthly crown, something that faded away. It was usually a, a, a wreath of laurel that was wrapped around their head or sometimes a pine or some other plant. And the people, Olive, I think, was one of the other ones. But that faded away pretty quick. But the crown that you and I can gain will never fade away. And this is the thing that the Apostle Paul was working for. When he says, I fight the good fight of faith, I strive toward the mark, the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was looking for the reward and the prize. And uh, notice that he uses another illustration from the games. Besides the foot races, he uses the illustration of boxing. Uh, 26, he talks about the foot race. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. There was a goal. You and I ought to have a goal as a Christian. And the apostle's goal was the prize, the reward. And that should be our goal too, the rewards that God will give us. But then he uses this illustration of boxing. I do not fight or box like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Apostle Paul is recognizing, even though he had been a minister of Christ for years and years at this point, recognized that he still could fall out of the ministry. He still could be disqualified unless he kept himself disciplined and under control. And you and I ought to be careful that we don't get involved in certain activities because they could cause us be disqualified as Christians and we could lose the reward that we could have had. Now, how can we apply this passage to our lives? I think there are several ways that we can apply what the Apostle Paul is saying. The main thing here in this passage is he's saying that you and I do have rights as believers, but we ought to be willing to give them up. We ought to give them up. And he gives us several illustrations of how he gave up different privileges in this book. With the Corinthians, he didn't accept any financial support from them. He could have. He deserved it. He founded the church. He worked hard. But he didn't accept any financial support. 
That was his right, but he gave that up so that they could accept the gospel free of charge. Another right the Apostle Paul gave up was his right for marriage. Maybe some of you young people might be called to be like the Apostle Paul, giving up your right to be married in order that you might communicate and preach the gospel. Apostle Paul had the right to be married, but he gave up that right. Maybe some of you feel that you have the right to peace and quiet in your home. Uh, perhaps, uh, maybe the Lord might call you to give up that right to invite young people over to your home or others to be hospitable to them so that others might hear the gospel. You do have the right, perhaps, uh, to have peace and quiet, but maybe God would ask you to give that up so that you can uh, win, win others to Christ. Perhaps maybe God might ask some of you to to give up your vacation so that you might help out in junior camp or do other things for the Lord. Perhaps take a missionary trip, uh, maybe down to Suriname, visit Claude or whatever. Uh, use a vacation for that. There are various things that you and I do have that are rights and privileges that you and I can give up. And he's saying that the thing that we should have uppermost in our mind is, is the prize, the reward. If we do these things as unto the Lord and are seeking a reward, the reward that he will give us, not just seeking it for our own benefit, but because we want to glorify him. Uh, this is a way that we can uh, glorify Christ and apply this passage to our life of giving up our rights. There's many things that you, we and I have, but he oftentimes asks us to give them up. And this is true in, in Apostle Paul's day too. The people had the right uh, to eat the things sacrificed to idols, but he says, if it will cause your brother to stumble, he says, don't do it. If you and I will offend another Christian, perhaps we ought to give up that right. If we're doing something that they don't like, even though we have a right to do it, perhaps we ought to give it up for him, for the Lord's sake. So, the, so this person might grow in his faith. Or perhaps maybe there's many things that we could do that we could give up in order that the lost might come to know Christ. Maybe we need to give up the time that we have so that we can use that time for the Lord. Why don't we pray? and ask the Lord then to help us to apply his word to our lives. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, that he was one who gave up so much so that others could hear the gospel. And as a result, we too have, in this day, received Jesus Christ because someone that he told about Jesus Christ told someone that finally told us. Father, help us to exercise the, the love, Christ, the love, love. 
Thank you for the rights that we do have, Lord. And help us, Lord, to give them up when we need to. That the gospel will not be hindered. And that you might be glorified by our lives. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.